Welcome to Koke, a podcast for all generations. Koke is a Punjabi word and it means to be open. It means to be openly. And here at Koke, we encourage all of our listeners and ourselves to listen Koke, speak Koke, and think Koke. Today's episode is going to be an interesting one because I think that we are, for the first time, in a very, very bold way, not that we don't do it already, but we are going to have an open discussion about something that has varying comfort levels between three of us. And it's going to be a conversation that's a little bit different than what we're used to hearing and used to talking about on this platform. But nonetheless, it's incredibly important. So the three of us were set to release an episode today. And we had a discussion last night about whether we should and we should not based on whatever's happening in the world. So we had a quick discussion And we decided that, of course, it's incredibly important that we have this discussion. And I'm referring to what is happening in parts of the United States, but especially in Minnesota right now, in relation to the death of George Floyd and the larger Black Lives Matter movement. And so we want to start off with the with the statement that we understand that this is not a trend and that anti-Blackness is not a trend. Black Lives Matter is not a trend. And even beyond this conversation and this isolated incident, it's going to continue. It's going to happen over even beyond this time period. And and while we hope that it ends and that this, this craziness and this madness about how Black people are treated in the world comes to an end, we understand that it's not a trend. And so we're not co-opting it and we're not buying into it, but we're using our platforms and our voices to amplify the issue. So we've decided that we're going to do our part. And there's something really important that Simran said when we decided to do this podcast is just to interrogate our own place in this and to interrogate our own part Mm -hmm. and what it is that we're responsible for and how we can use our bodies and our voices and our platforms to speak on and also shed light on to the issues that we might not necessarily have the best experience on or the best knowledge on, but what is it that we can do to play our part into this? So the three of us here are South Asians and you know we very much identify as people of color, but we also recognize that it's different for us. It's different for us as women of color, as people of color than it is for black people. And I just wanna give a little bit of a background and bit of, bit of a description on what is what that means. And so I want to borrow from critical race theory. And so I've had the privilege of studying under an incredible critical race scholar in Canada, Mr. Philip Howard, who was an incredible, credible leader, an incredible scholar and professor at McGill University when I studied there. And so he was one of the first people to really just open my eyes to what it is that critical race theory is and what anti-Blackness is and how it just permeates our everyday lives. So as I come to understand anti-Blackness, it's that Canada functions on a racial hierarchy where white people are at the top, people of color and Indigenous people are somewhere in the middle, and Black people are at the bottom. And so the closer you get to the top of the racial hierarchy, the more human status you have granted to yourself. And the further you get towards the bottom of the racial hierarchy, the less human status you have granted to yourself. And so anti-Blackness is not the same as racism because when you experience racism as a person of color, while that does suck and it shouldn't exist, you still have human status granted to you. Black people do not have human status granted to them. They're not treated as humans. 
And we see that in history and we see that in the way that the world is currently and the way that it looks like it's going to continue on for at least the next little bit. And so anti-Blackness is not the same as racism. And so we do have to interrogate our own part in anti-Blackness because even though we experience racism, even though we experience discrimination, it's never the same as anti-Blackness. So we are complicit in anti-Blackness, whether we like it or not, and whether it makes us super uncomfortable or not, we are complicit and we buy into anti-Blackness because we've been taught for a long time that we benefit from anti-Blackness. When you're in the middle and you have human status granted to you and you have some way of receiving white privilege, you are going to function and you're going to thrive based on that racial hierarchy. So that's what we want to do in this episode today. It's still something that's new to us, and we're going to be very transparent about that. And we understand that the three of us are in this podcast. There is not a Black person present. And we understand that that's a limitation on our part, that we can't have a Black person. And also at this point in time, it's it's extremely insensitive to ask someone who is Black to come on and to talk about that. You know, it's a form of re-traumatization, yeah. I think, to say, hey, come here and share experiences with us. So what we want to do is kind of go around and just talk about what it is that we can do and, and to ask ourselves, how am I implicated in this? And I'll go first yeah. and I'll share my example. You know, um, when I talk about this example of critical race theory class, I remember I started it in my first semester of grad school at McGill University. I took a critical race studies class in fall of 2018. And I had a lot of anxiety for a few weeks in the beginning of that class because I was supposed to write a final paper at the end in, in November, December. And I was supposed to write about something that that was close to me and, and whatnot. So I ended up writing that paper on my own um, complicity in anti-Blackness. That entire paper, I wrote it like from the eye. I wrote it, you know, with my own experience. And I the reason why I had so much anxiety was because I realized like, yes, I was a grad student. And yes, like I am a self-proclaimed feminist and I try to be super anti-oppressive in everything that I do. But I too had been buying into anti-Blackness my whole life. And that made me very uncomfortable. It It made me reconsider my entire degree, literally. Like I was like, I don't even think I should be doing this because I've been such a horrible person. I haven't stood up for Black people. I haven't stood in solidarity with them, X, Y, Z. And the reason that I actually stuck through it and I wrote that paper and I you know, went to my professor's office all that time is because I wanted to unlearn, you know, and it was my job to unlearn. It wasn't my, anybody else's job to teach me how to do it. Um, and I mean, they can point me in the right direction, but still it wasn't their job to teach me how to undo it and unlearn it. And I'm so thankful that I have, and I and I do not claim to have unlearned all of it because unlearning is a lifelong process. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's important for all of us to sit here and and to to talk about that. You're right. It's it's a it's a personal responsibility to make that choice and to educate yourself. And I think that's what we want to do together here today, and also encourage everyone else that like that's that's what you can do. Yeah, this is going to be a way for us to model self-interrogation amongst ourselves mm-hmm. too. And to also help every single one of us in doing that in our lives and in our families and homes. Yeah. Samarine, you had a really um, interesting way of doing that in your own life. Yeah, so growing up, my grandma used to tell me not to play in the sun too much because I was going to get too dark. 
which and she would compare like my skin color to my sister's whose was a lot fairer at the time and that was because she had eczema but like you know it seemed like it wasn't that big a deal but when as as I got older when I stopped to think about it I was just like why does that matter what is the color of my skin doing to you what is it doing to anybody was it what is it doing for me like it's I didn't understand why that was important and so eventually I was able to say something to her about it but um that's just like one example from my life that I can say that I've had to challenge this concept of colorism and anti-blackness. I've had my own experiences with unlearning. Um, as a lot of you know, growing up in Kenya, we had people, uh, African people who worked for us and worked for my dad in the business, um, worked around the house, gardeners. And the word used to describe them was servant. So I grew up with that word in my vocabulary uh, and I didn't know any better. And I had to unlearn that as an adult. You know, these are just examples of how we've reflected in our own lives and ways that we've had to acknowledge and educate ourselves to break those deeply ingrained and systemic anti-Black perspectives and, um, you know, that are, like, so weaved into the construction of our social world. Like, especially like in South Asian community, because, you know, that's the perspective that we come from or that's what we know. So that's all we can speak to. But, you know, these are not isolated one-off incidents. Like they are part of such a, like a larger um, issue that shows up in so many different ways. And our intention for this discussion is to encourage you all to do the same, reflecting and educating yourselves and others and to really think about how you can start to challenge these constructs. And so what that brings me back to is something Simran, you said about um, searching in our hearts. Do you want to say mm-hmm. that? Because I think this is... Yeah, I just saw this like graphic somebody had made on Instagram where like, you know, if you can't fix it in your heart and you can't talk about it in your home, then it's not going to change the world and nothing's going to change. Mm-hmm. And so we're impacted by what's happening out there. But what we really want to do is look at ourselves and look at our own hearts first and talk in our own homes first Mm -hmm. before we point the finger at other people to say that they're behaving in a certain way or not. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to talk about something that I I read in a book called The Anatomy of Peace by the Arbinger Institute. And the story is that we either choose to see people as like ourselves or as objects. And so when we regard them like ourselves, that we regard them as humans, that's what that means. Our hearts are at peace. So that's that heart you're talking about. But when we don't see them as ourselves, we either see them as objects. So they're obstacles. They're getting in your way. They're vehicles. You want to use them to get something you want or they're irrelevant. And irrelevant means that you don't even regard them as human. So when I saw that picture of the policeman with his knee on the neck, that was seeing that person as an object. That was not seeing that person as a human. Mm-hmm. And then when we see that person as an object, it's an act of violence. And when we have these kinds of acts of violence towards others in our hearts, what the book writes about is that it, it creates inside us a contempt, right? not even seeing them as human. It's a contempt, a cynicism. 
And that actually festers inside and impacts the person who's feeling it as much as the person out there. And so I think for me at, at every moment is to see, you know, so, so this person who's coming towards me, how am I viewing them? Is it someone who's getting in my way? Or is it as a human? I think that's how, like, if you use that lens, would be really, like, impactful way to start the conversation at home. Yeah. You boil it back down to how do you treat human beings? I want you to share that story about one of the one of the examples used in Anatomy of Peace of the of the oh. airplane. Yeah. So the example in the book was, you know, you many of us must have seen this where you're sitting in your plane seat and you're just every single who, person who walks down the aisle, you're you know, trying to see if are they going to be the people sitting in that empty seat next to you? Because everybody wants to have an empty seat next to them. And he talk, the author talks about how he was in a plane and he saw this man who was overweight walking down the aisle and he could tell from every single person cringing, everybody was hoping that that man wouldn't sit next to them, right? So what were they doing? They were viewing that person as an obstacle, right? Because they were going to sit next to them and encroach in their space. And I think that, you know, that feeling of, of feeling like cringing and feeling awkward and getting uncomfortable, whether it's, you know, it's a, an overweight man walking down the aisle or you're out in the street or you're out somewhere and you get really uncomfortable or you feel scared of a black person. That's not inherent, right? You're not born with that feeling. So what mm -hmm. is it about the way that our society is set up that we that feeling comes into our bodies, right? Like we feel uncomfortable, you know, and even though the example in the book is of the airplane, I want to talk about it with, you know, when we, the, the fear we feel when we see a black person, you know, what, what is it about the, you know, because it's not just George Floyd, right? There is, there's horrible instances of just innocent black men and women who are out doing mundane things, but then they strike fear. Like they can be like 17 year olds, you know, just going to 7-Eleven like Trayvon Martin was, mm -hmm. you know, he had a hoodie on, he went to go buy Skittles from 7-Eleven and he's walking back and somebody decides that this kid is dangerous. So I'm going to shoot him and I'm going to take his life and I'm going to rob his family and this community of that life. So it's not inherent. So what is it about that, that feeling that's not natural to us? And I think that in this, as easily as it's been taught to us, you know, it should be that easy for us to unlearn, but mm. it's not. That's that's naive to say and to think, mm. you know. You know, I think the reason why it's so hard to unlearn is because it's uncomfortable. Because it's hard to sit there and think critically and reflect about the ways that you might have been complicit, that people you love might have been complicit. Um, but it's so important because you being uncomfortable for a little while and then doing the acknowledgements and doing the educating that you need of yourself and your family members is not as uncomfortable as people having their lives taken. I don't know. That's just the way that I see it. So while it may seem uncomfortable and it may seem like such a small thing, it's not. It's so much bigger than that because each little piece of this, each little challenge you, you know, make 
is part of this larger movement and is part of the way that we're going to be able to undo and unlearn all these things in a deeper way. Going from the heart to talking about it in the family. Yeah. So what are some examples in our lives where we've called things out or maybe examples where we haven't called things out? Many ways that I've called it out is, you know, anyone around me, nobody around me is allowed to use the N-word. Yeah. You're just not, you're not allowed to use it. And mm-hmm. you know what? I I made a conscious effort recently. I actually had someone call me out on it, right? It wasn't that I just woke up one day and decided not to use the N-word. I used to use it and someone was like, I don't get why you're doing that. The conscious effort that I make is I listen to a lot of music by Black artists and the N-word gets used a lot. But every single time, even if I'm singing out loud, even if I'm mouthing it, I do not say that word. Mm-hmm. I just don't. There's no room for it. Yeah. Yeah. I've had to shut that down too and other people that I've interacted with and it's just it's just yeah zero tolerance that's just the approach you have to take okay guys so uh uh, you two are getting married hopefully sometime in the future are you gonna have that are you gonna have that healthy ceremony because you know what the point of all that whole ceremony is to make you look white you're gonna do that Oh man, see, when you say that, it's like, shit, like so much of our cultural stuff is so rooted in that stuff. It's ingrained. And you know, I had it at my wedding. I didn't think twice about it. It was a thing you did. But the where where that comes from, right? That's, that's blowing my mind. I never thought about that. Yeah, it's true though. Even though we're talking about these things as, you know, isolated individual efforts, I think that of course, a large part of this is to is to have like large structure, institutional systemic change, right? Like Mm -hmm. the systems allow for these things to exist and they happen, but that's beyond our scope sometimes, right? Like, I guess I can write a letter to a politician lobbying, but I think that there's more weight in, for me in my life personally, to just question everybody around me. So, you know, um, that's, we, we acknowledge that, that, you know, it's just not individuals sometimes can, can do it, but there's something that I heard from someone in a group that I was part of. And she said that they're all whispers until they become a movement. And I've held on to that for a long time because, you know, whispers eventually, if there's enough of them, they get louder and louder, more audible, and then they become a movement. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's the sentiment that I want to carry on forward. Um, You know, I think we're nearing the end of the episode. So before we go off, I would love for Simran to share some things that we're going to do um, on our page in the next little while, and also some things that people can look for to, su- to support our- themselves and their loved ones. Yes, we will continue to use our platform to share resources, um, you know, things you can learn, ways you can learn, how you can engage in conversation with family and friends. Um, you know, we encourage you to do your part, whether it's reflecting or educating yourself, protesting, signing petitions, sending emails, donating sharing resources, or having conversations with family and friends. There's going to be a link in our bio um, that has a lot of great resources. There's a lot of petitions to sign, ways you can donate, um, a lot of helpful information. Um, So do check that out as well. But we really want you to all look into your own hearts first Mm -hmm. and then talk about it with your families. Right? Because that's where it starts as a whisper. Mm -hmm. And this is the three of us getting together in a virtual group hug and sending out love and energy, especially to our black our brothers and sisters all across the world. Um, we see you, we hear you, and we're here with you, and we're here in solidarity with you.